Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everybody. Uh, in case you didn't know by now, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we've got a lot of, uh, actually just a few, couple, a couple, a couple of cool, interesting cars to talk to you about today. So Ben, why don't you take it away and tell me what you've been driving recently? Well, uh, this last little while, I spent some time with the BMW M550 xDrive. Oh, nice. So the M550 xDrive, this is a, this is a pretty powerful executive sports sedan, isn't it? Well, so... Over the last couple of years, BMW has done this thing where they've – you could view it two ways. They've either diluted or expanded the M brand. And <laughs> They're uh, not the only ones, though. I mean, Mercedes has done this with the AMG brand, right? Yes, and Audi has done it with the S-Line. I, I think Audi was actually the pioneer of doing that with the S-Line. So this is something we've talked about a few times on the show in the past. I think most recently when we talked about the Mercedes E43 AMG and – the way it's shaken out for European luxury companies is they've kind of every company that had a a sedan like whether for BMW the 3 series the 5 series for Audi it was the uh, the S6 the S4 and for Mercedes it was the E43 AMG what they what they did was they took their top tier version of whatever that sedan was that was just below the traditional high performance version and gave mm-hmm. it a badge AMG S or M, but they changed how they referred to it. So instead of this being the M5, which is a totally different type of branding, it's their track-oriented version of their flagship sedan in the segment, this is the M550i. So mm-hmm. you have the M comes first, then you have what you would have used to have been the just the regular 550 in the past, and xDrive just means it has all-wheel drive. Uh-huh. So... It's, that that it's, was a lot of explanation. It though. is. And you know what? I could go on and on and on about it because I feel like I'm still not really conveying what BMW's marketing wants me to be conveying. It's a complicated set of ideas that boils down to you're going to pay more for this sedan and it's going to be moderately more sporty than it was in the past. Okay. Well, I, I'm a little confused though, actually. The... 5 Series comes in a number of different um, trim levels and and uh, engine options. I know there's a four-cylinder model, there's a six-cylinder model, and there's a, I think that, that four-cylinder is a plug-in hybrid. So let me just – oh, no, there's a four-cylinder. There is no V8 unless you get the, um, the M550. Yeah, so what they did was they just took the previous V8 yeah. version and added the, this The regular badge. 550 and said, hey, you know what? This is pretty good, too, so well, wait, let's just give it an M badge. It's not just an M badge because it's also, I believe, more expensive because they add more gear. So you get more sort of sporty stuff. It's it's like if you wanted a less hardcore M5. They, they share a very similar engine. It's still that 4.4-liter twin-turbo V8. But uh, the M5 has been reconfigured, has different turbos, uh, the tuning is different, and it puts out six, around 600 horsepower. The, the M550, it's 456 horsepower and 480 mm. pound-feet of torque, which is still really good. You're still looking at 0 to 60 in less than 4 seconds in perfect yeah. conditions. It's like 3.8 seconds. The all-wheel drive system, also like the M5, although it's tuned very differently again. And you have a somewhat spicier suspension setup. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the zero to sixty time in an M5? Ooh, off the top of my head, I let couldn't ch- tell you. Look, I would like to it's say it's three, three point two or three point four, and if you're going a highway, uh, going on a highway in in Canada, hundred so, kilometers an hour. So probably about a half second difference in the real world. 
So a half second, and this thing costs about seventy three thousand US. The, the price differential is thirty grand. So holy cow! But I want to stress that. It, if you're looking at straight line speed, it's really weird these days because almost everything is super fast in a straight line, yeah, <laughs> especially especially European luxury cars. So it's not really as useful to say, well, I'm getting a half second for 30 grand. Uh, you could probably get that half second with a tune on this car. I, I don't doubt that okay. for, for at all. But what the M5 brings to the table that the M550 doesn't is the ability to go on a track and repeatedly turn in lap after lap without overheating everything, without running your brakes down, without um, having the electronic nannies kick in in a way that's maybe not as fun. The, the, the M5's limits are higher. It's, again, a vehicle that no one is going to take to the track, but you could if you wanted to, whereas the M550 is an executive sedan that's a, a little bit sportier than it used to be. Okay, so I don't want to be rude here, but if I was the average BMW customer and I walk into a dealership and somebody's, they, I've got two cars in front of me, one is called the M550 and one is just called the M5, won't I just think the M550 is the better one because it has more numbers? Well, it has more numbers on the back of the, the trunk, but it doesn't have more numbers on the sticker. So that, <laughs> I think that's... And the engine. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, I, I totally agree with you, though. It is a very confusing idea. I mean, does this car... We've said this before about AMG. Does this car make AMG... or Sorry, make BMW M less cool because it's not as, you know, at the limit as the M5? Does it make the M5 less interesting? Or is this car made more interesting by the presence of the M badge? That is a, the most difficult thing I have to think about. That is a marketing question par excellence. Is that, that, is does that, that matter? Is. Like, I suppose that's the biggest question, right? Well, you know, so, they're not going to sell a lot of M5s. It's a very low-volume vehicle. They are going to sell far more M550s. I mean, considering you can get a 3 Series for the cu the price difference between the two, I suppose you're going to sell way more 550s. Yeah, I think they're different customers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know, the M5 is there for the person who wants the best BMW sedan. Although we're going to, the second car we're talking about this week might throw that into question. Ooh, uh, teaser for the yeah, later half. Teaser the for the later, later half. Um, but uh, it's, it's, look, I, I'm going to tell you that. For the average person that you described, and in fact, for almost any person in the entire world, average or not, the M550 is way more than you're going to need. It's super quick. It's really comfortable. It doesn't ask you for that $30,000 sacrifice. And you get, I would say that it's it's easily 85 to 90% of the M5 in terms of performance. So my favorite, I, I'm... I think I'm on record for saying I quite like the 5 Series, the new generation 5 Series. Except for I do think that maybe the interior has lost a little bit of its pizzazz and, and, and class compared to the E-Class. Because I really like the E-Class as well. well but in this, in this class of car, hold on, sorry Ben. In yeah. this class of car, the M550 I think goes head-to-head -to, -head to the, the E43 AMG. And the E-Class comes with a twin-turbo V6. While the M550 comes with a twin-turbo V8. And that's a pretty big difference that you can probably feel on the road. Well, you know, we, we talked about this again when we talked about the E43. I don't know if there's really a direct comparison these days between the German uh, automakers and their individual vehicles. Because like you said, that you get, you get that turbo V6. If you get the 540, which is the step below the M550 from BMW, you're mm -hmm. going to get a turbocharged six-cylinder engine that is mm -hmm. almost as quick in a straight line as the AMG, despite the AMG on paper producing more power. I would say that the M550 is a cut above the 43 no question. Then, then, then that brings a really good value 
to the brand because the starting price in the U.S. between the two cars is in favor of the Mercedes by about two thousand dollars. It's it's cheaper by two thousand dollars. If you could get a hundred, almost sorry, maybe close to sixty horsepower difference, um, in a in a more I don't know, in a hundred pound feet of torque in a BMW for two thousand dollars more compared to the Mercedes and the BMW, I think the the BMW gets. The not in this case. Yeah, and and the interior, you know, I I feel what you're saying. There's some parts of the the cockpit, especially the the center stack, the buttons. Um, underneath the there's a there's a screen, and then underneath the screen you have the vents, and then underneath the vents you have the controls for the climate, and you have some stuff for you know presets for the radio and the navigation and stuff. There's yeah. a whole there's a whole preset bar, and mm-hmm. instead of having it be individual buttons, it's kind of like one piece of plastic with indentations, and when you push it. It all kind of moves, and it feels really low rent. And it's I've weird. actually I actually really like that feature. Uh, not the not the fact that you think it's low rent, but that panel that all of those uh, presets are on is a touchscreen, and or it is touch sensitive. So when you hover your finger above the button without pushing it, it will show what's going on on that on that preset. Uh, as a preview on the on the infotainment screen. Yeah, well, which it I tells think you, is really cool. It tells you what the preset is. Yeah, that that is cool, but I I just don't like the feel of it. I feel like it's it's not a seventy thousand dollar feel, you know. And there's <laughs> okay. there's there's more affordable cars with nicer switch gear. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, there's some other stuff on the center console. It's the same kind of deal. The the buttons for the sport modes. Yeah, you know, like it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it kind of feels like a little chintzy, and it's you know it's piano black, so that kind of adds to this glossy plastic kind of look. Uh, I like the seats though. I thought they were very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I like BMW's head-up display in this car. It's it's easy to read. It doesn't clutter with a whole bunch of useless information. Um, like some some car companies seem to feel the need to put everything <laughs> in the mm-hmm. head-up display. And uh, iDrive is it's it's getting better. I, I feel like I say that every single time I drive a BMW. It still has so many submenus to find stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I example with the M550. So. There was a lot. It's an all-wheel drive car. There was a lot of snow in the last two weeks when I was driving it, and BMW has this feature for the parking system that automatically turns on the parking assistance if you're at a low speed. Mm-hmm. So what would happen was the parking sensors would get covered in snow because of all the snow on the ground and the snow banks and stuff I was driving through, and every time I would stop at a light, all of the alarms would go off like ee! like oh every single gosh. time, and there's no button to turn it off. What you can what? do is you can you can push the parking button on the console each time it happens, but the system reactivates the next time you touch the gas. So mm-hmm. I had to go into iDrive and find the mysteriously named automatic parking distance control auto on feature and then turn <laughs> that off. So that was the only way to do it. And and it was extremely frustrating until I was able to find that. Okay. Um I my my complaints with the 5 series interior is it's not a huge departure from what they've had in the past. It looks very similar in terms of layout and and um no, just in terms of layout and design come to past 5 series and I just I think it's looking a little old at this point. Am I the only person who feels that way? Do you believe do you trust do you have a similar thoughts on this? I I don't know if I'd say it looks a little old. It's definitely not cutting edge. Mhm. But um it's now, you made a great point, though. The, the head-up display is really fancy. There's a digital gauge cluster that's uh, circular, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, in both, I think in both gauges. And it can show you some really interesting details there. Um, and additionally, this car has 
gesture gesture controls, which are always hilarious to play with until they ruin everything because you were holding hands with your girlfriend and they suddenly change the the radio station because of that. Yeah, gesture controls are a huge gimmick. They're absolutely unnecessary, and it's it, that's pure marketing. <laughs> okay, then what is what do I like um, about it over the E-Class? It has way more trunk space. I think it has five more, at least five more cubic feet of st- storage in the in the trunk. It's a surprisingly huge car. It's inside huge. Too. I lo- and I think it looks, it has, uh, this is a stupid term, I suppose. It, it has road presence. It really looks tough on the road, um, more so than the E-Class, I think. But I, I will say this, it's very hard to tell a four series Grand Coupe, a three series sedan and a five series sedan apart from a distance um Mm -hmm. they fall into the audi trap where the vehicles are you know one sausage five different lengths and uh there's nothing wrong with that if the sausage is a sexy sausage but it's it's still you know you you could get mistaken for a three series pulling into a parking lot or a valet station or something if that matters to you then that's gonna suck i should actually bring up another uh another vehicle which is all new that hasn't been talked about much in our um in our podcast and that's the six series um, which I think is now called the six series grand, either the Gran Turismo or Grand Coupe. I can't remember how they, they've renamed it here, but it's essentially a five series, but with, um, with a, a roof mounted trunk and it's much more, um, it's extremely fun to drive. It reminds me of your, of the five series, especially the M550 version, um, with a very, very solid planted feel on the road, um, but with a different, a slightly different body style. So I'm thinking of the Gran Turismo version. Yeah, I haven't driven that car yet. I, I was not a fan of the previous version of the 6 Series uh, Grand Coupe because, like you said, the the new one has the hatch. The old one didn't. It was it was yeah. like a it was like a four door sloped roof uh, sedan, and it was weird because the four the the four Series Grand Coupe was like a hatchback three series, and it was really good. And then they had the six, which was totally different. And you were kind of driving it, and it kind of felt really tight inside. And it was like, why why would someone buy this? But now that they, they add the extra practicality, I mean, there's probably more of an argument now. Well, actually, it's funny because they used to have the 5 Series Gran Turismo. Oh, which is hideous. It's absolutely terrible. And they basically just make became – it became a 6 Series Gran Turismo. But it's so different. Like the old 5 Series Gran Turismo, <laughs> it was like the Aztec of BMWs. And I don't mean that from like an ugliness perspective. I mean that from – if you look at how the rear hatch was, it was like almost a straight down solid wall of hatch. Mm-hmm. And it was just weird. There was It was – it, it didn't really gel with the body lines of the car. The 3 Series Gran Turismo was very similar. And I, I think consumers voted with their wallets by not buying these cars at all. If you see a 5 Series GT on the road, it is an event. And you should take a long, hard look at that driver just to see what kind of person will go against the flow to that point. <laughs> it's it's I, I'm not overstating how unusually styled these cars are. Yes, and sorry, I should I should point out that the 6 Series Gran Turismo that I drove was a six-cylinder version and still felt extremely sporty um, and spacious. And that's an alternative to people who don't want the traditional uh, styling of the 5 Series. And I think it's a pretty um, solid argument in in that case. So I think BMW has done a lot with their driving with their driving dynamics, and they've proven it time and time again. And they've killed it uh, with with the M series, the M550, and I think the 6 Series as well. I'm going to be controversial and say that with the M550 on the market, there's really no reason to buy the M5. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think there's a compelling reason because I don't believe that most buyers will take it to the track. And I think the track capability is the most significant difference between the two cars. 
even though the all-wheel drive system in the in the M5 can send 100% of the power to the rear wheels? Sure, it can do that if you're willing to turn off traction control completely. That's the only scenario where that happens, but uh, on a regular basis. But it's it's just, you know, it's a big heavy sedan. Mm-hmm. Most people don't take big heavy sedans to the racetrack. You can do it, but it's it's a dual purpose kind of thing. I would think most people who can afford an M5 would probably also be able to afford a track toy. And the percentage of people who take any car on the track is very small to begin with. So I think the M5 is a prestige thing, and I can understand them being bought for that reason. And I'm not taking away from the car. I think it's a very good car. I just think fundamentally BMW's 5 Series lineup is already very, very strong. And if you're looking at, well, am I going to feel like I have, you know, the power to go with the comfort that I'm looking for, the M550 is going to deliver that. You're not going to get in an M5, punch the accelerator, and be that much more impressed. Um, I would I would say there's... You, you mention the thing every time when we talk about the 5 Series and you say it's a pretty heavy sedan. Um, in the case of the M550, it is quite heavy, but the, old, the other ones are surprisingly lighter. Um, and I'm bringing that up just because... Heavy cars, yeah, they're 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 a handful, and especially with an M5, it's a handful to take on the track, and that can really wear out other expensive parts of the car, like tires and brakes. Oh, for sure, consumables are always higher on on heavy sedans. The different, the, would you believe me if the weight difference between the M540 and the M550 is 500 horsepower? I mean, 500 pounds. Well, is the are you looking at all-wheel drive versions of both? Um, yes, maybe not. Hold on, nope, this is a this is a rear-wheel drive one. Yeah, that uh, probably really makes a probably makes a big difference. Crazy, but so that's that's impressive, man. That's a lot of weight um, um, to be gained, and a lot of weight when you think uh, actually when you're thinking of under four thousand pounds for an executive sports sedan, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, maybe that I'm, is that is maybe good. I'm easily impressed. No, no, I think that's unusual in today's world, especially in a luxury car. Okay, but the next car that you had is <laughs> is much bigger and much heavier. Yes, so uh, when I was saying that the M5 is the flagship of BMW, maybe it's not the flagship of BMW. It's definitely the flagship of BMW M. Mm -hmm. But there's another car that also has an M on it, but it's like a lowercase M, even though it's a capital M on the badge, and that is the BMW M760IL. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait. There's a lot of letters there. (laughs) I I think I understand what the M means. Uh, What I need to know is a couple of other things. A 760, I believe the 6 denotes that this is a 6-liter 12-cylinder engine under the hood? It's actually a 6.5-liter 12-cylinder engine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry, 6.5? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. That's insane. Okay. And I'm sorry, it's not an IL, it's an LI. Um, LI. Because they keep changing where the I and the L go, so uh, I, I feel stupid about that. I'm sorry to anyone I've offended. Uh, again, branding, but the LI means it's the the long wheelbase uh, instead of the. Uh, can you get a short wheelbase seven series in North America these days? I'm not sure. I don't think so. In any case, uh, it's. Oh it's yeah, a, you can definitely you can. It's a huge car. It has a 126 inch wheelbase. It is enormous. Um, and anyway, uh, it's in the the car I'm driving. It's it's painted a a flat brown. The oh, color cool. is actually frozen dark brown paint, which yeah. is frozen is BMW's um, word for satin. Yes. It is, I feel like I'm in some type of like Eastern European organized crime organization every time I drive it because of the stereotypes that movies and television have, have taught me about what crime lords drive. 
It is an imposing big vehicle that is ridiculously quick for what it is. It has, you said, 600 horsepower, 590 pound-feet of torque, and it does 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is You're the talking, same. We're talking like an airplane. It's, like, it's the size of an airplane. It weighs 5,200 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be honest. I've actually been in one of these cars, but not behind the driver's seat. Well, behind the driver's seat, but in the back seat. Um and this is a business class lounge um, on wheels. It's oh, amazing. the back seat is where you want to be. I mean, that is the catbird seat in the 7 Series world. And when you're in the Li, this is the range. This is the most expensive BMW you can buy. Uh, the one I'm driving in Canadian dollars is 182,000. In uh, the U.S., let me double check on the price. It starts at 156. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing really above this. Uh, once you start adding options, like mine has a $10,000 Executive Lounge Tier Two option, mm-hmm. which gives you rear ventilated comfort seats. That means they 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 um, lean back as well as I, I don't know if I have an ottoman or not. Yeah, you probably have a this footrest, which is yeah, the yeah, coolest yeah. thing ever. And, and there's a massage the function from a tablet in the back seats as well. So there's yeah, there's a weird little tablet that fits into the center console, and you can pop it out and turn it on, and it takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does take a while to like boot up and sync. It's like a Sam- Samsung. Um, it's a Samsung Android tablet. Mm. Uh, but this is a car you want to ride in. It's a car that you either want to drive on a super long trip or ride on a super long trip. That's what it's for. It's for cruising. Like let's say you're you're in Texas. And, and there's no speed limits, and it's just, you know, straight on forever. I was going to say the Autobahn, but that's a cliche, and there's so much traffic on the Autobahn that you can't really maintain, like, a 150-mile-an-hour speed for any great distance. But if you're in a big, wide-open state like Texas or Montana, you could definitely just, you know, pin the cruise control and and kind of close your eyes and tie the wheel to the to the center console and take a nap. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, you're going to run out of gas pretty quick, though. Maybe I, I, it gets With 16 miles per gallon combined. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, you could hyper mile it a little bit, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it's it's an interesting car because it's so big. Um, it feels big all the time. Mm-hmm. Not in a negative way. Like you're not like, whoa, this is out of control. Just like, uh, whoa, I need to be careful because <laughs> not only is it super big, but I can launch it at ridiculous speeds at any given moment. Like, the throttle response in sport mode is quite impressive. It makes a crazy sound when you get off throttle through the exhaust pipes. Really? Um, oh yeah, it's it's it attracts attention. Really? And, oh yeah. Yeah. I thought what, these things would kind of be, be kind of muted. I mean, it just looks like a BMW limo. It painted dark brown, frozen dark brown with a with a twin turbo V12. I don't know, man. It, it's, it's people can't see the engine from outside. But they can. It has so many V12 badges on it. There's one, <laughs> well, you can. You there's can. one on the pillar. There's two on the pillars. <laughs> there's one on the center console in the front of the car. What? Yeah, it's a big. It's a big V12 by the shifter. And something else about the the inside of this car. The interior is um, so many lights everywhere. Like it has, it yes, has. I've seen this. It's so intense. I it love has it. a Bowers and Wilkins diamond surround sound system, which is a very expensive option. But the speakers on the doors in the front and the tweeters that are on the door panels up top, they have this like it looks like a supernova. This like swirl of light mm-hmm. that is coming out of them. Uh, you can you can turn that on and off. You can fade it in and out. There's like all these different colors you can use. For the ambient lighting throughout the car, there's there's LEDs embedded everywhere, but there's oh, also man. like light panels in the back. Yeah. 
the yeah, yeah, like in the pillars, right? Yeah, in the pillars. There's a, there's a light carpet around the car when you approach it's it. So cool. There's this other thing that's pretty neat, and uh, both it has two sunroofs, but both sunroofs have lights integrated into them that, that are the yeah, yeah. same color as the interior lights of the car. So you can see out at night, but you're you're it's like you're looking through a star field made of small colored lights. <laughs> that's so amazing. I don't know why. I, I'm uh, I mean some people might call those gimmicks, but when you're paying a hundred and whatever bajillion dollars for this car, um, I want it to be the most like it's not is it is it a, i don't think it's i don't think it's not it's like too serious you know what i mean it's very playful i love the way that this car allows you to change the color of this yeah, the, oh our speakers have tornadoes in them yeah like, it's exactly that it's like this is this is i think the ultimate expression of what m760 li means it's like here's everything and it's kind of wild and we hope you like it it's not like it's they're not trying to be rolls royce they're not trying to be Audi and, and be reserved and buttoned down and like, yes, it's it's an excellent car, but we're very serious about it. It's like, hey, this thing's kind of wild. <laughs> and you walk up to the car and it looks like it's floating on light when you like it's like it's just embraced in like holy light when you get up to it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's and, and my car also has something called the uh, oof, what is it? Was it it's the, the carbon package? I'm no, trying carbon to find the, core, my friend. Carbon, carbon core. core. So I don't know exactly <laughs> what that is. I found out it had the carbon core package because when you open both doors on the on the B pillar behind where those doors normally are, there's a carbon badge or a core badge or something. What does so, that mean? I don't know. I'm gonna try and find out right now. Uh, carbon core BMW. Let's see. Let's see what the world tells us. I like. Oh. It. I mean, all important things have a core. That's my. That's what I understand. Planets have cores. Apples that's true. Have cores. That's true. Remember when 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 uh, the the core stopped turning in that movie, The Core, and they had to go to the core to jumpstart the core so the yeah. core would start turning again. What was the name yeah. of that movie again? It was The Core. Oh. Um, right. Okay, so it, it's it's carbon fiber structural elements. It's um it's in the B and C pillars in the roof supports and the center tunnel and the door sills and apparently there's a nine foot arc from the base of the A pillar to the rear of the car along the roof line. It's like a longer it's like a it's like a thin bar that's carbon okay. fiber reinforced plastic. It sounds a bit it sounds uh does, does it need to have a name and why so it's, is, why is the name so like important to the car? Does well, the five series have a, a... A carbon, I mean, carbon bits do it as well? Well, this is 285 pounds lighter than the 7 Series that it replaced. Wow. That's why they did it. Um, but I I think that Carbon Core actually isn't a package. I think it's just the all the 2017 and 2018 7 Series have them. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And they just decided to put that badge there to make you feel special. So I'm, I'm wrong about it being a package, and I apologize for that. Can you describe to me the interior of your car? What color is it? It's a, It's like a white color. Okay. And, and like I said, it has all the crazy lights that we were just talking about. Um, is it, it has quilted? some of the... the leather quilted. Yes, and it has the softest headrests you'll ever put your head against. They're, they're really, really soft. It has a whole bunch of screens. It has the, but it has that same kind of nasty plastic on the dash and the center console. And it has this weird oh. button um, on the center console that adjusts the air suspension. And you know how like some oh, cars adaptive. you can. Oh, adaptive. Is this adaptive? No, it has an adaptive okay. drive mode as well, but this is just a button for the air suspension mm -hmm. where uh, you push it and a light goes on, and I don't know if the car is going up or down because it doesn't tell you. You know, like Normally, you can choose up or down. Yeah. This, it's just a single button, air but it's like a whole on. panel. <laughs> it's a whole panel that moves back and forth, making you think that you can do two things, but it's yeah. confusing. I was trying to figure it out last night. I was in the car, and anyway... Um, that's that's what I was saying. Like th th that kind of lets me down. It's the only part of the interior of the seven that lets me down in the, in that way. Every everything else is pretty well executed. The, the rear seats are fantastic. It's it's a great it's a great passenger vehicle.
Now, this car is essentially a Rolls Royce, is it not? Mm, I don't. I mean, know. It's, I think the Rolls Royce has the same six film, uh, the same sorry, six point six liter V twelve, uh, so six hundred horsepower. It has that same technology, that transmission as well. Um, and I mentioned it, the adapt. I mentioned the adaptive mode, the adaptive drive mode, which is really important to Rolls Royce. They they promote it all the time, but BMW has it as well. Now, what adaptive does is, um, especially if you have a navigation route, like a destination in the navigation is telling you where to go, the car can actually tell using topographical information whether you're going uphill or downhill and will change gears in a, in anticipation of that. And this car can do that and some other BMW 5 Series can do that as well. But I, Those I would are say... Like primarily a Rolls-Royce-like feature. Well, having driven the Rolls-Royce cars with those features, I don't really feel that much similarity between the, the M760 and a Rolls-Royce. It's a very different experience. Um, okay. The Rolls Royces are far more disconnected from the road. Interesting. Um, but uh, the, you know, all that M stuff on the car, I feel like this is the ultimate expression of why that's kind of silly because no one is ever going to take the 7 Series to a racetrack. You probably could. I don't. Te- I th- don't tempt me. I think it would be fast. I don't think it would be fun at all. Okay. I, uh, um. It, it's like taking an SUV to a racetrack. Again, you can do it, and it can be quick, but there's no joy in it. It's not something you would want to do. But you're the person who's driven the Trackhawk, have you not? I've driven the Trackhawk. I've driven the X6M on the racetrack. I've driven the even the SRT uh, Grand Cherokee on the racetrack. And yeah, they're all quick, but there's they're not fun. It's not like you're like, wow, that was great. What a rush. It's like, okay, this is happening now, and okay, I'm so disconnected from the incredible amounts of speed. I, I If you watch the video I recorded several years ago when I was uh, working for Auto by Tell, I did a video of the um, X6M at Circuit of the Americas, and I'm on the back straight of Circuit of the Americas, which is about three quarters of a mile long, and I'm doing 140 miles an hour. Oh my God. I'm not wearing a helmet, and oh. I'm talking to the camera in a very casual way. <laughs> <laughs> that indicates just how engaging the X6M <laughs> is not. It's it's like it's like you're along for the ride, and I think the 7 Series would be a flavor of that on the racetrack, which is fine because. I don't think it should be on the racetrack, but it does have that M branding, which means question mark, <laughs> you know, it means that they thought about it a little bit longer. What I wanted to ask you, though, is you have a, you, you mentioned something really important about this car, about your time with this car. You had it in the winter. How what is it like to drive in the winter? It's exactly like driving the five series, except longer. That's it. Yeah. There is, is that is that to say that it's easy, it's approachable in the winter you can you can live with it in the well, winter. It's all wheel drive, so it's 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 the same all wheel drive system. There's nothing, there's no appreciable difference between this and the five series except for the length of the car. Does it have winter tires? Do they make winter tires and whatever I don't know, sub thirty inches wheels that thing has? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it has winter tires. It's, it's the law where I live, so there's no option for it not to have winter tires. Okay. I mean, and BMW can't just stop selling cars in the winter time, right? So. <laughs> and then I had another question for you. Parking this giant thing, is it easy? I wouldn't say it's easy. You have to find a big space, obviously. Because um, this car can has be a rear-wheel little... steering, I think. It can, yeah, it has rear-wheel steering. It can be a little awkward because you don't always know where the car is going. Because, you know, on snow... 
when you're backing into a parallel space, mm -hmm. the, the car will move laterally. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's so long, there's like a fulcrum somewhere in the car <laughs> where it's rotating and you can't always know where it's going to rotate to. Mm -hmm. But the like I was saying earlier, because of the mafia connections associated with this car, you can kind of put it anywhere and no one's going to mess with it. <laughs> like okay. it could be half on the sidewalk and people are even like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, I, I encourage you to keep testing uh, where and when you can park it. Um, do you also have one of those funny keys? Yeah, so here's the here's the. – I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wanted to talk about that. It, this has the, the parking system that allows you to ghost – <laughs> Ghost walk your ghost car? Ghost ride the 7 Series. <laughs> it, the 5 has it as well, I believe. Um, it is the most useless thing in the it's world. It's so great, though. It, there's no need for it. First of all, if there's a space so tight – I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If there is a space so tight that you cannot park the car and open the doors, then whoever you're parking beside is also screwed because they won't be able to get to their car. And chances are they don't have remote parking of their own. So there's no point to the feature. The mm -hmm. other thing is that I was given the key fob. It's huge. It's really big. It's yeah. probably half the size of a smartphone. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's it's supposed to have a, it has a screen and all this stuff, a touch screen. Except mine doesn't because you know why? The battery's dead. But you gotta the put battery, the battery inside the car, it, and well, it wirelessly it, charges. You do, but I don't want to keep ha um I don't want to have a car whose key fob runs out of battery. And it, all of those features, most of those features, you can use uh, with with the BMW app, right? Mm -hmm. So why would you? Why would you need this much larger key fob that you're going to lose? It, it falls out of your pocket much more easily because it's so big. And it takes up more space in your pocket, in your purse, whatever. You have to charge it. I, I just don't want to charge my key fob. Is that unreasonable? No, I think you're onto something. I had to charge it when I, uh, when I had the 5 Series um, last year. And I agree with you. It was really inconvenient. And I also had both of these keys in my, like, in my possession, like the regular key and the touchscreen key. And there were so many times when I was like, which one am I going to take right now? I think I'm going to take the regular key because there's less that can go wrong with that. Um, like it's battery dying or sometimes the car says can't connect to it or something like that. And you're just like, well, this sucks. Yeah, it's it's for me, a key fob should be about convenience. And I don't think a giant key fob is convenient. And, and at what point does it stop? Like when does BMW just issue you a smartphone <laughs> you buy, when you buy the car? And it's like you have to have this on you at all times or you can't get in your car. And you're like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> um, I'm... A little disappointed by all the badges. I'm taking a look at some models um, that we photographed for AutoGuide, and um, there's a ton of badges on this car. Doesn't that kind of like it? I don't know. I thought cars, cars like these, need to, should be a little subtle in their opulence. Um, there's nothing subtle about a flat brown giant luxury sedan that um, has a twin turbo V12. But I agree with you. The badges are a little strange because the M badge is so tiny on the front fender. This is an enormous car. And I believe there's – does this have badges on the front fender for the M? I believe it does. Mm -hmm. And they're small. They're really small because it's not the full M and because they don't want to, you know, upstage – there's never going to be an M7. But if there was an M7, they wouldn't want to upstage it with the M760, right? So you're kind of like super casually telling people it's not an M car, but it is an M car, but it's not. And it's it's just weird. It's just branding mumbo-jumbo. Okay. Um that's a lot of things that are going on with this BMW, I mean, between M badges and V12 badges and core, carbon core badges and... <laughs> um, 
what else other badges are there in there? Well, it's it's rare that we we talk, get a chance to talk about both non MM cars on the same uh, podcast. <laughs> That's true, but um, there's another one too, the M240, I suppose, is the yeah. other non M. And I guess the what, then one of the X vehicles. I think the X1 has one, and the X3 or the X3 has one. And the X1 the has X3? One? I don't think the X3 has one. I think they have an M240 on there. I think they do. I think the X4 has one. The X4 had one, yes, for sure. Yeah. So, like, are we have we killed the M badge, the M name? You know what? I'm gonna let the traditionalists debate that because at this point, marketing is the most important thing. BMW is the last of the independent car companies of any any real size, mm-hmm. and they need to be in as many niches as they need to be in to to keep that a reality, to keep themselves churning forward. So, I'm not gonna begrudge them doing that. It just, you know. I, it, it kind of bothers me when people look at cars now and say, well, why are things like they were 30 years ago? And I'm like, oh my, are you really asking that question? I mean, we all have a, a, a fantastically overpowered computer in our pockets in the, in the form of a smartphone. What about that case of things, how things have changed in the past 10 years? Yeah, I don't say people like forming abacus appreciation clubs. Yeah. So. Oh, that's true, though. It's um, just... But you're onto something. I do think it's cool when you see an automaker fill in these white spaces that um, weren't in their lineup before. And this is something I had... A chance to talk about to a uh, talk with to um, Buick. Buick has some really weird cars, and they say that that's what they're into nowadays. Um, they're into weird cars. They're into weird cars that nobody else seems to want to make. Um, they're one of the only automakers that has a hardtop front-wheel drive convertible with the Cascada, which they, which they don't sell in Canada. Which they don't sell in Canada. That's right. Um, they also have that Sportback Regal. Uh, which is a unique, again, front-wheel drive-based uh, Sportback design. It is a little bit bigger than the S5 Sportback would be in the Grand Tourism or the Grand Coupe version of the 4 Series, and it packs a lot of space. I mean, it would go up right against that new Kia Stinger, but I think it's focused a little bit more on comfort and space than driving performance like those other two cars. Um, and then they they like practically introduced the small luxury crossover segment with the Encore, and that, like, surprised them. They didn't know that it would sell so well, and it did. Um, and now other automakers are just joining in on that um, on that niche. And then finally they have this new Regal Tourex, which is a wagon, basically a premium version of the Subaru Outback. But This is a really uh, un- un- unexpected outpouring of Buick love and appreciation from you, Sammy. I-, I feel like I need to add a disclaimer that we're not sponsored in any way by Buick. I'll, I'll, the, the only reason I, I mean, I wanted to, I, I, unfortunately, I haven't had to test any cars, but I just want to look back on some of my notes that I had while I was at the Detroit Auto Show. And one of the interesting things that popped up is that Buick wants to fill in all these white spaces in the same way that you described that um, the BMW M brand is filling in all these spaces between the regular BMWs and the M-badged crazy BMWs. And it's I can true, see, but, B, but, but Buick's also supported by a massive corporation. That's like, true. They, they, don't, they have that to fall back on at all times. And they also were able to plunder many of their designs from Opel before Opel was sold in Europe uh, this past year. So they're, they, they, they're able to stay niche um, and to address the Chinese market without worrying about impact on the American market. That's definitely true. And I think that's what they told me is that they have this playbook, essentially, that's global um, throughout any of the GM brands throughout the world. And they can just say, you know what, I think this might work in North America. Let's give it a shot. And they see and they, they wait and see. And I guess BMW might be doing the same thing with this M um, branding and see how people whether or not the M brand alone has gained enough equity to support just cars that are not quite 
full M-badged vehicles and can still keep that badge. Uh, speaking of, of branding and badging, a uh, story I came across today earlier was um, how Cadillac, you might remember that Cadillac uh, had caught a lot of flack for the Cadillac user experience, the Q infotainment system, mm-hmm. and how many people didn't like how it worked because it was not necessarily responsive. It involved a lot of touch panels instead of buttons. It was not easy to use in all circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. they, they slowly been improving it over the years. Um, but it, it came out in 2013, and they told us that it was going to be completely replaced. Okay. They were like, no more Q. Q is no good. And uh, in 2017, Cadillac CTS was the basically the first car to come with the new non-Q system. But what's weird is if you turn the car on, it still says Q on the infotainment system. What the? Yeah. And I, I'm reading a Motor Authority report um, talking about this. Uh, my, my friend Joel Fader wrote this, and he says he contacted Cadillac, and they said, yes, Q is dead, and the 2017 CTS that he is driving does not have Q in it. It has the next-generation version of Cadillac user experience, or whatever they're going to call it. But it doesn't but have a name yet? No, they haven't rebranded it, so the Q splash screen is still there when you turn it on. And he, he, Joel asked them, well, how much longer... Is it going to say Q on the screens? And Cadillac was like, years. <laughs> what? Yeah. I it, see it, this. Okay. It, yeah, it's it's the model. It's the product planning is not in, psych, in, is not in sync with the rebranding efforts. So they have to wait until all the old product has shaken out of the lineup before they can add the new non-Q branding. So That's the, the most the, ridiculous thing. They need to just – it needs to just say something. It just needs to not say anything when he boots up the car. He just needs so, to just say yeah, Cadillac. Yeah, it's like how hard is it to say – yeah, how is it to say Cadillac or even a black screen of That's some kind? That's got to be the easiest thing. I mean I can change boot screens on my computer like any day I want, but like – Well, not everyone is uh, Bill Gates Jr. there, Sammy, so uh, – <laughs> I mean it's something that it shouldn't be as difficult as it is. And if you can take your car in for – if you can take your car in for service, it should – just you should be able to 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 get that changed. I, especially if they're calling it not uh, Q, then it shouldn't be Q, and you're going to confuse a lot of people by doing that. It's already if confusing P, just listening to it. If P, then Q. If not P, then not Q. Right? Isn't that the <laughs> yeah. simplest logic problem in, in the history of logic? I guess so. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. And you know what? There's a lot of like branding is such an important part of the automotive industry. Um, and and there's a lot to talk about in this on the subject. I, I would I could go on forever if you don't mind me just continuing our conversation about this about branding. Um, what about Scion? Last year we saw Scion disappear, and um, with it, um, all of its cars got absorbed into the Toyota Toyota lineup, with the exception of the Scion TC, which was a coupe, which got killed for good, and I guess the XB, which were two hatchbacks, or XB and the XD, which were two hatchbacks. What I'm trying to say is that the Scion IA and the Scion IM and the Scion FRS became Toyota branded cars. Except for they didn't take advantage of that. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. These cars, can you can add more equipment now. And they didn't. Now, because they're Toyotas, they just became more expensive while adding no new equipment at all. Just because they yeah, have so a different brand. Well, it's it's the... Uh, they I think that they didn't want to change... They didn't change anything about the process where the cars were built or designed or planned. So th- there might not be an options 
package available for those models that works in North America or has been tested or anything like that, you know. So they 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 were they they kept Scion's one size fits all policy and just ported it over to Toyota because they might have had some type of earnings thing that they had to to meet with these vehicles. They have to they have an investment in the tooling that builds them. So if Scion disappears, there's a, a sales hole of X number of units that they needed to fill, and that's that's what's happening. It's, I don't think there's necessarily a future for any of these vehicles. Maybe the FRS. Uh, the uh, which is now the Toyota 86. I don't know. Based on the way they have just not done anything to it when it became a Toyota, and they had the opportunity to do something with it. You can get new, you can get different seats in different markets. You can get uh, different equipment in other markets. I mean, how different? How difficult would it be to make this car more premium appeal to a different buyer, or to strip out some of the stuff and make it appeal to a different buyer, or, and make it more affordable? And they didn't. And I think that's we, just it. Just sucks. It, it might also be complicated by the fact that they have a relationship with Subaru, which sells a twin version of the vehicle, and we don't know what goes on behind the scenes where Subaru's like, if you make a cut-rate version of the FRS 86 and you kill all our sales, we're going to sue you, you know? Like, yeah, I suppose that's, that's definitely possible. I mean, who knows? Uh, it's a weird situation, that's for sure. But it just yeah. bugs me. When when the Toyota Corolla, the regular Toyota Corolla has more standard equipment than the Corolla IM, um, or can be equipped with more packages than the Corolla IM, which is a more attractive vehicle, not only in just um, um, looks, but in terms of um, packaging and space. I like the Corolla IM. It looks like a cool car. It has a lot of space. Um, and there's a couple of really nice features about it, but I can't get what I want in it when I can in the stupid Corolla sedan. And I wish... Well, it, Toyota is, uh, like a lot of car companies, are pulling back from small hatchbacks because no one's buying them. Mm -hmm. so well, I can at least no one's buying them in North America. Yeah, no one's buying them in North America. So I can understand Toyota not wanting to invest a lot in this this car that was foisted on them by a, a bad series of events when one of their brands essentially went bankrupt. But if you look at, you know, Toyota's already dealing with the fact that they have the CHR, which is another hatchback-like crossover that was foisted on them. It was supposed to be a Scion. Yes, it was. It, it doesn't have all-wheel drive. It's a little bit weird in a lot of ways. And uh, Does they it have like, packages? I don't know. Let me check. But I, keep talking. I do know... I do know that it wasn't planned to be a Toyota. So they're, suddenly they're dealing with two hatchback-like vehicles that they never wanted to deal with. They, they is there a there's no subcompact Toyota crossover that you can buy other than the CHR. No. They're not playing in that market, so they're already being locked out of those sales, and they're being forced to support two products that just kind of dropped in their lap. So it's kind of a mess if you think about the entry-level uh, hatchback slash SUV segment for Toyota right now. And I'm sure they're not happy about it. I mean, this is a company that moves really, 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 really slowly when it comes to introducing new models. Uh, there hasn't been a new Toyota SUV in how long? A long time. I mean, the CHR, besides the CHR, is that true? Yeah, which, is, which was, again, not a, intended a to be a Toyota. Um, yeah, I, I can't even think. I suppose the Land Cruiser was all new, but we don't get that in Canada. Um, the truck, on the truck ends, the Tacoma is kind of new it was new a no but like not, not 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 trucks though like I, I i guess i guess yeah i see what you're saying you're looking at the whole lineup uh but i but mean yeah, like a new name a new model oh a new brand new model yeah it's so rare yeah. and it's so funny especially on toyota's end because other automakers are bringing crossovers and suvs like they can just like they're just mashing things together we've yeah, got so Nissan has revealed two new crossovers in the past year with the rogue sport or the cash guy in canada and the kicks last year or last month in, in la they're just like, look, we've got crossover. You want crossover? We got them. Here they are. Yeah, so Toyota's, for whatever reason, sitting on their hands. Uh, they're still selling phantom vehicles like the Sequoia, which 
I mean, I don't know if you can even get those in dealerships. They're they're so rare. Uh, I think they sell to a certain point. I think I think they're super cheap to make, and I think the profits are really good on them. But they they, they just kept going the, forever. What's the, the last product that Toyota canceled? Probably what the FJ Cruiser. Yeah. Oh man, I love the. Why'd you have to bring up the FJ Cruiser? I love the FJ Cruiser. <laughs> so it's it's like what, what's what's happening there? It's it's Honda at least got in on the tiny little. You know they, they don't do a ton of new models either, but they did bring in the um, HRV. The the HRV exactly yeah. to to sop up all of that. There's there's been no Toyota version of that, which is kind of strange. And you know what? I did check on it. There are different trim packages to the um, the CHR. There's an XLE. It starts at the XLE, which is typically reserved for a higher premium vehicle. Uh, and then there's the XLE, XLE Premium, which comes with uh, a few smarter features like uh, push-button start and blind spot monitoring and, um, a fo- and fog lights and stuff. Now, I know a lot of people are probably listening being like, oh, the CHR is the version, is the, is the Toyota HRV. It's the Toyota It doesn't have all-wheel drive. It doesn't have all-wheel drive. It was never intended to be a Toyota, and it's 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 a different class of vehicle. It's larger than the HRV on the outside, but not on the inside, which is you know. It's arguably weird. a much better looking and driving car than the HRV, though. Um, so it, it it's it's long story short, companies don't always make the best decisions, but sometimes companies find themselves in positions that make it hard to make a good decision. Absolutely, and um, you know what? It's it's always fun to talk about some of these things. I know sometimes that's a little in the weeds, like industry news, but sometimes it's also fun to just talk things through about what's going on in the industry. Um, it helps me get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, and if if you want to hear us talk about other industry stuff or non-industry stuff or cars that we've driven, you can check out um, past versions of the podcast at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We've got, this is the 56th episode, so there's a lot for you to listen there. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, a whole bunch of other uh, podcast apps have the Unnamed Automotive Podcast ready for you to subscribe. And if you do subscribe or listen or check us out on iTunes, we would love for you to leave a comment. Any kind of rating or comment is a huge help to us. It gets us in front of more eyes, and it makes our audience that much more interesting to engage with. Uh, Additionally, speaking of engaging with uh, us, you can do that through Twitter. I would prefer that, actually. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin. Um, I think that's it. Well, there's also our Facebook page, too, where we... We posted a bunch of photos from Detroit, mm-hmm. and uh, you can check us out, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, on Facebook. Next week is a very, very busy week for both of us. Sammy, what are you up to? Uh, I have my hands on a new Toyota Corolla, but I'm also going to be driving a Mazda uh, prototype. This is a 3 with the Skyactiv X engine, and that's a very important um, development in the world of internal combustion engines, and I can't wait to learn more about it. Ben, what are you doing? I am going to be actually driving that Skyactiv-X prototype with you. We're going to be together, and we're planning on doing another mini episode like we did with the Silverado, but we want to hear from you. Was that cool? Was that something you were interested in? Was it worthwhile? It was was a short 10, 15-minute look at a vehicle we had exclusive access to, and it's just nice when Sammy and I are together at a media event where we have the time to kind of do a deep dive like that. We would like to hear your feedback. Uh, after the Sky Active, I am going to be driving the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, Ooh. which is, I know, a vehicle Sammy is very near and dear to his heart. And then after that, immediately after that, it is the Infiniti QX50, a, a small crossover that I am extremely excited to drive because I think it's one of the most important Infinities that they've probably produced in the last decade. You're also forgetting the fact that that car also has a, a potentially revolutionary engine um, technology, that uh, VC, that's a variable compression compression 
um, turbocharged engine. Basically, that is basically a car that has the power of a D6, but the fuel efficiency of a diesel four. So we'll see how that what that really is like to drive. That is correct. So thank you for listening and check in with us next week when we'll tell you all about those interesting vehicles. And until then, uh, <laughs> passing it over to Sammy. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.